Well, last week we read the short, quick little story of Onesiphorus, but we didn't really get into it because I was long-winded in the beginning part. But I just want to read it because it applies to the very beginning of the text here. Um, Verse 16, a verse of chapter 1. May the Lord grant to the household of Anisiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. That's going to be important. He was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know well the service that he rendered at Ephesus. We don't know much about this dude. He appears here and really nowhere else. One other little time his name is mentioned, but we don't know anything about this guy. What we do know from Paul right here is that he ministered to Paul at a time and in a place where Paul was really unable to minister apart from sending out letters. And I can imagine the the loneliness that comes from being bound in chains the way Paul was. This was not his first imprisonment, but it was his worst imprisonment. Paul had been imprisoned many times, and oftentimes because of his status as a Roman citizen, he had a kind of comfortable house arrest where he was allowed visitors, he was allowed to have his own home, he wasn't bound and thrown into a dungeon, as it were. But this imprisonment, the very last imprisonment before his death, he was in the dungeons there in Rome. And so in this aphorist, you can imagine that he would think, okay, well, people came and visited me under this first house arrest. But now at this time, Nero had really ramped up his persecution against Christians. And so for him... To come and find Paul, you know he's taking his life into his hands. He's being very bold to come and find him so he can bring some kind of refreshment to him. We don't know exactly what that was and we don't really need to because what we do know about him is that Paul holds him up as an example to Timothy here in chapter 2. You then, in light of Anissus Forrest's boldness, his courage, his zeal, his strength, his love for me and a love for the saints. Be strengthened, Timothy. Be strengthened. If, look to this man. Look to his faithfulness. Look how he treated me and how he rendered me. And you, Timothy, have that same kind of strength as you're ministering as you are there in Ephesus. You then, like Anisiphorus, my child... Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, one thing to point out here is he doesn't say, be strengthened by your righteousness. He doesn't say, be strengthened by all of the good works you do. And you know both of those things are true. Timothy was a pretty righteous dude. And he certainly did all kinds of very good works. But instead, what Paul tells him in his command his admonition for Timothy to be strengthened, he points him back to the gospel. He points him back to grace. I love this because even a seasoned, well-versed, strong, righteous 
holy, loving Jesus, Bible-believing, born again, ministering the word of God to God's people, saint, like Timothy, needs to be pointed back to the gospel. And if Timothy needs that, we need that all the more. You know, when I'm sitting and I'm talking, you know, oftentimes we, we, we're, you know, people ask questions and all kinds of things. And one thing that I want to do is I want to answer a question, but as quickly as I can, I want to get to the gospel. I want to go back to the gospel. I, I want to bring that up because that's the greatest solution to any need we all have. It's going to be the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you struggling? The gospel. Are you depressed? The gospel. Discouraged? I'd be perfectly frank right now. I'm discouraged in my own life in several different ways. And the solution, one, is I'm, I love to be around the saints. I look so forward to walking in these doors because I know I'm going to have my brothers and sisters around here with me. And that's a great encouragement to me. But what I do is I preach myself the gospel over and over and over. I go back to the gospel. I go back to those places in the book of Acts where Paul or Peter or John or whoever preaches the gospel. I go to those places in the epistles where Paul points his believers that he loves back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I read the prayers in the epistles because if I'm going to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, I need to be pointed back to the gospel. And so here he does just that for Timothy. Look to the example of Anisiphorus who loved me and then in light of his work, be strengthened by our common faith in the gospel. Be strengthened by our common utilization of the gospel. It's what motivated all of these works that they're doing. It was the foundation upon which they could move forward and act as ministers for the sake of Christ and his kingdom. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses in trust to faithful men. Ah, this is the bread and butter of my life. <laughs> this is one thing that I, the, I, I was never sat down and taught. Take the things you've heard and teach them to faithful men. Teach them to faithful men. Entrust the gospel to them. Teach these things. But very early on, I just knew that one of the things I needed to do, and I strive to do this in all of the churches that I've served and ministered in, is to talk to men and to teach them the truths of Scripture. Whether it was a very deep theology class or whether it was sitting across the table for one-on-one, -on -one, that we would always be pointed back to the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what the implications of the gospel is. What does it mean for you as a man of God to believe in these things? And well, it matters an awful lot. Men, do you love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her? Do you pray regularly, unceasingly, with fervor as you love your wives so that your prayers may not be hindered? 
Man, are we training up our children in the way they should go and trying to teach and instruct them the truths of God's word. Men, are you using your gifts not only in your home, but in the congregation, in the body of Jesus Christ, to strengthen and uplift the church together? You see, all of these things we do find their foundation in the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ through the gospel. And if they don't, then they're worthless. They're wood, hay, stubble, that on that day will be burnt up in the presence of the Lord, although we might be saved, maybe as it were by the skin of our teeth. But the point is, I want to entrust these things to you men because I believe God has called each one of you to the service of the Lord in some way, shape, or form. I do that. And Andy, God bless her, I love my wife so much, but she has so many times over the years said, don't invent, be careful, because you're going to pour your heart in and they're going to break your heart. And that happens often. But the truth is, is I can't stop. (laughs) The truth is, is I love the gospel and I love his word too much. And I believe that every single man who has been born again by the blood of Jesus Christ is a faithful man that I can entrust the gospel to. Now, it doesn't mean every single guy is going to be up here behind the pulpit preaching. It might mean some people are and it might not. But what it will mean is that you will grow in the grace of God. You will grow in your love for your wife and in your family. And therefore, your family will grow in that grace and be, be able to strengthen the rest of the body as you use your gifts that God has called you to and gifted you to. So he tells Timothy, you heard me in the presence of many witnesses, all of these doctrinal truths, all of these practical truths. Take those truths and entrust them to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is the pastoral duty. I have a pastoral mandate from God to teach truths to faithful men and then hopefully, Lord willing, see those men go on and continue to share these truths in these different areas and different venues. Maybe you're called to be an evangelist and you need to hear these truths so that you can go and you can share in those places where you go, whether it's work or the marketplace or out on the street corner or with your neighbors or wherever you may be found. But my responsibility I see fully is to be pouring into the lives of the men of this church and pouring into the lives of faithful men so that they will grow in the grace. This is why it's so important for our Monday night men's study to me because I want to be there and I want to see this task fulfilled. And because I believe every single guy who shows up there, God has a plan and a purpose because he saved them to use them for his glory in the advancement of his kingdom. So you see this wonderful progression that Paul lays out for us. Hey, Timothy, you need to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. First of all, look to Onesimus. Onesiphorus, forgive me. What a guy. He came and he found me when I was in my darkest hour. Here in prison, he refreshed my soul. He searched me out when he had no real obligation to, but he came and he did it and he encouraged me. When I was in prison, taking his life into his hands, Timothy, look to him and be strengthened. And then what you've heard from me, learned from me, seen by the example, go and teach this to other men. 
Teach this to other men. There is no thought, I guarantee, in Anisiphorus' mind, as he's going and seeking out Paul, ooh, I'm going to make a great biblical illustration here. This is going to be awesome. Right? It's not in his mind at all. It's purely out of the love. His motivation was a love for God and the gospel that he had heard from Paul about Jesus Christ, saving him from his sins, that caused him to go and do that. And so that's what should compel Timothy. It's what should compel me. And hopefully it will compel you as you minister in the ways that God has called you to here, men within the church. Now, women, you're called, obviously, as well, to serve in many ways, shapes, or forms. And thank goodness for the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves both men and women, Greek and Jew, Gentile and slave and free and everybody else in between. Wherever you're at, the gospel of Jesus Christ is what's important. And the glorious truth is that as the men of this church are strengthened and blessed with the gospel and growing in their grace and strength in it, that all of us will be growing and strengthened in the truths that we find in Scripture as well. Then he tells them after being strengthened by grace and to entrust faithful men to share in suffering. To share in suffering. I am... I I tend towards being a creature of comfort. (laughs) There are some things that, you know, suffering, okay, I can do a certain amount of it, and I can justify certain things in my head. But to be perfectly honest, suffering for, for me is something that I do need to come back and be reminded. And because we're not in a country that experiences persecution yet, I think that suffering for us as believers in America come via other means and other ways. What do I mean? A good example would be Job. In his life, in his area of influence where he lived, everybody saw him as a righteous man. There was no threat of persecution for Job. In fact, he was a leader in his community and looked up to as one of the most holy men around in his area. And so, one of the ways God uses to refine, to shape, to mold, to bring out character from within us is suffering. Christ suffered and he is our eminent example of suffering, not only as an example. But he certainly is an example of suffering. He suffered for the sake of the Father's glory, his glory, and for our benefit. So suffering comes in other ways. Job suffered the loss of his family. Job suffered the loss of his health. Job suffered the loss of his possessions. And in doing that, and him sitting there through all of his friends' probing and ridicule and talking smack in a lot of ways he came to the end of himself and when God showed up and revealed himself there at the end and questioned Job at the end of that book Job's refinement through that suffering was revealed in the fact that he put his hand over his mouth and said I spoke about things that I didn't know anything about 
And he gave all glory and honor and praise to the Lord. Now he went through those things for the glory of God. And he was shaped and molded through those things. And suffering comes to the life of the believer and does that work. I believe that's why suffering happens the way it does in our churches here in America. Because we don't have this persecution. So I'm not going to presume to know exactly the specifics of what kind of sufferings you're going through. But if you're not going through any kind of suffering at all... Hear what I'm going to say and pray about it. Not that you should go, oh God, all right, lay it to me. But I think as a Christian, we naturally do suffer because it is the means, it is a means by which God uses to bring about sanctification in his people's lives. So first of all, he brings up a soldier. He says three categories where he tells us here is how suffering is shown in lives of people and he's using these examples in the lives of the believers as well so there's three group there's three peoples and there's three different ways that they suffer first of all no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him first of all is he is enduring he's focused in one specific pursuit And he's not getting entangled with the things of this world. No soldier is entangled in civilian pursuits. We could call this an enduring faithfulness. He is faithful in his laser-like focus to the pursuit of being a soldier. Not getting caught up in the affairs of the world. Not getting caught up in social media stuff, which... (laughs) Of course, they didn't have in that day. I'm not sure what the equivalent would have been, but you know there were things that were just as attractive as a distraction for people in that day as this thing is in our day. And he says the soldier doesn't get entangled in those kind of things. He has an enduring faithfulness. His suffering, as it were, is that he has to have a singular focus and can't allow distractions to enter in and to dissuade him, to get him off course from doing his duty. Secondly, an athlete. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. An athlete. He has a a lifestyle that is one of physical discipline. He is focused in his action. That the, th- the thing the athlete does is they are focused not only in their physical well-being and their physical health, but in what are the rules that I am competing to achieve the accomplish I want to achieve the ends I want to accomplish. Right? A runner needs to compete according to the rules. A wrestler needs to compete according to the rules. It's no good to be extremely physically fit and to win a victory but having cheated doing it. It is no longer a victory. It is a failure. So... Here, this discipline, according to their action, is both in terms of their physical prowess and also their intellectual knowledge of the rules that they need to compete according to. 
That means it's going to require some discipline and some sacrifice on their part because there are certain things they're not going to be able to engage in as well. And finally, it is the hardworking farmer who ought to be the first to share of the crops. I have never farmed. We had a garden when we first moved over on Cleveland Avenue and I would go out there and appreciate that a garden was in our backyard. But I did very little, mostly because I'm allergic to just about everything out there in that garden or in the yard. But my wife put a lot of work into it. And so when she would come in with tomatoes and zucchini, and, you know, I look at those things and go, all right, fried zucchini, I like that. But all the work that went into it, the labor, the time, the pulling of the weeds, the watering, the having to re-shift the watering, oh, so much work went into that little garden we had in the backyard there. A farmer's the same thing, except on a grand scale, right? But he patiently works to do what needs to be done in order to produce the crop. It is this area of sacrifice is a patient labor. It's a plodding along. It's not a, I just run out there and get this one thing done and then I can kick up the legs of the easy boy or lazy boy, lazy boy. But instead, it's a day in and day out consistent laboring. So these three things, soldier, enduring faithfulness, athlete, disciplined action, and a farmer, patient laborer who gets to share in the first of his crops. So he says, share in suffering. And then he gives these three illustrations. B, enduring in your faithfulness, disciplined in your action, and patient in your labor. One of the things that this brings about is, is in Galatians, and you know the passage, but I want to read it because it's so good. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. You see, suffering produces this kind of fruit. The Christian should be one who, even though they are enduring and disciplined and patience in their faithfulness, action, and labor, and those are things that a lot of times we think of as a Christian, a lot of hard work, truly what is emblematic of a Christian is not the work, but the fruit that comes from that spirit-led and spirit-enabled labor. And that's the fruit of the spirit. Love, peace, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
These are the things that we partake in as those who are Christians. These are the things that are characteristic of our lives as those who are believers in Jesus Christ. We work because of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the great salvation we have from him. We work because, and we work from the position of victory, knowing that the war is won and we are just cleaning up here the end of this battle. All the while we share and participate in the sufferings of Jesus Christ. And while we do these things, what is being produced in us is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Because those who belong to Christ have crucified the passions of the flesh. Then he says, now think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. One thing, and maybe it doesn't need to be said, but it's a thought that I had as I was reading this, And so I I will throw it out there, and if it applies and is helpful, then praise God, and if not, then that's fine. Think over what I say. Mere reading of the word is not enough. Merely just doing it, you know, I I had this, when I had a long time to, to read and to do my devotions, I did this study where you read 10 plus chapters a day for your devotion. And it was wonderful and delightful. And you're not supposed to write stuff down or, or jot anything down. You're just supposed to read. Uh, what I found every once in a while is I found myself just blazing through to get the 10 chapters done, to tick my box. Mere reading is not enough. What, what we read, we need to ponder. We need to take in. It's not a race to get 10 chapters done. God bless you. All power to you if you can do that and you have the time and you can focus and think through that, then praise God, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. For me, I found that in the place I'm at right now in my life, I read the text over and over and over and over and really wrestle with it. And I try to wrestle with two or three texts that go along with whatever I'm going to preach. And that's kind of where my thoughts are anymore during a given week when I'm resting is, what is this text? And Galatians 2 was, or pardon me, Galatians 5 was in my mind quite a bit. And one, Lord willing, we'll get to. Maybe we won't, I don't know. But one more coming up. But think over what I say. Think about it and think about it. Focus your mind on it. The Lord will give you understanding in it. You know why we can have confidence in the authority of Scripture to impart wisdom? is because Jesus himself said, that's what's going to happen. John, turn to John with me, if you will, chapter 14 first, and then we'll flip over to 16. John 14. John 14, verse 25, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give you, nor let your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Now stop there for just a minute. 
Hear what he says. I speak these things while I am with you. The helper, the Holy Spirit, comes from the Father in my name. Now, when Trinitarian language comes up, it's time to focus. Not that all the Bible isn't a time to focus. Don't misunderstand me. But there are certain things that when it comes up, grab your attention. Like when Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto you, behold, behold, pay attention, pay attention. Yo, believer, listen up. (laughs) This is important is what he's saying here. When Trinitarian language comes up, it's time to focus. Why is Jesus using Trinitarian language, invoking the name of the Father and the Holy Spirit in his own name in this context, because the Holy Spirit is going to teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have told you. Why can we have confidence in the authoritative word of God? Because the Trinity says so. Because God Almighty The Father has sent the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ so that when you open up this particular book, he will give you insight into it. Beloved, that is mighty. That is powerful. This is no mere book. This is the book of books. This is the word of God, the source of life. This is water for our souls. We want to suck the marrow out of this bone. And the way we do that is as we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, as the Father sends him in the name of Jesus Christ, as we read his word. He is the helper for us. This is why we can trust and have confidence in the authority of sacred scripture. Chapter 16, John 16, beginning in verse 12. He says, I still have so many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. Now, when this, verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he's not going to speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears He will speak. He will declare to you all things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Once again, he invokes this Trinitarian language so that we are without a doubt... We are as confident as we can possibly be in the authority of sacred scripture because the spirit is going to come and guide us into all truth. So back to our passage, when Paul says, think over what I say for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. He is saying, God the Father in the name of Jesus Christ is going to impart the son's wisdom to you through the Holy Spirit and you are going to gain understanding in all things. So think over, beloved, the truths that you hear from the pulpit, that you read in your Bible, that you read when you pick up other good godly Christian authors. Think over what is being said in light of scripture and God will give you understanding in all things. We can be confident of that absolutely confident in the word of God. No problem pointing people say, read what it says. Because the spirit will give us all understanding. Remember, Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, 
offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering and bound with chains as a criminal. First of all, remember Jesus Christ. The risen one, risen from the dead, is the reigning one, son of David. Now, I, I, I would love to spend a ton of time on this, but I'm, I, I'm not going to right now. Another day, perhaps. This risen and reigning one that's referred to him raising from the dead and the son of David is over and over and over in the New Testament. And yet how often when you hear the gospel preacher, you preach the gospel yourself, do you refer back to King David? It's pretty rare, right? Now we will say, well, it's because culturally people just don't know King David. Well, Paul's going around and preaching to people who might not have ever heard of King David. We don't know. Maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. But it's a vital part of the gospel because he reigns based upon the covenant promise God made to David back in 2 Samuel. It's a covenantal promise. Therefore, the fulfillment in the gospel of Jesus Christ is covenantal. Our new covenant stands on the fact that Jesus Christ is the king in the lineage of David. He's the risen and he's the reigning one. Remember Jesus Christ as he has been preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering bound in chains as a criminal, literally evildoer. Now what he says though, look what he does here. But the word of God is not bound. He says, the world is treating me like an evildoer, but the word of God is not an evildoer. I am being treated like a criminal, but the word of God is the very truth and is not false. I am being treated as if I deserve to be locked away, but the word of God can never be locked away. There's a reason why when persecution takes place, the gospel thrives. Because when people want to put down the gospel and they see people standing up and continuing to believe and trust in it, the Lord uses that as a means for his end as he saves many people from their sins. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they may also obtain salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The word of God is not bound and Paul is content and willing to suffer whatever it is so that the elect will believe. Boy, that is such confidence in this book. Such confidence in these words that he's willing to preach these truths, write these truths even from his prison cell and send the gospel out there because there's people out there who are elect and need the gospel. There's people out there who the means by which they will be saved because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God, the word of God needs to get out. So Paul's going to get the word of God out even if that means he's going to suffer to the point of death because that means elect people will believe. Ah, That's mighty confidence. I'd encourage you to go back and read Deuteronomy 7, Isaiah 48, John 6, and the like of it. Just so you can look and see how this idea of God's electing people has been all throughout the pages of Scripture. It's no novelty from Paul. 
It's always been there and it always will be there because God has picked his people whom he would save for his own glory by his power of the gospel. And because they're out there, we can be confident in our preaching of the gospel. We don't need to be timid. We don't need to be shy because God's going to save his people. And he's going to do it by the means of the gospel. We don't know who they are. So we preach the gospel to everybody, knowing that those who are his will turn and will believe. This saying is trustworthy. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign. Notice the connection to verse 8. Jesus is the risen Lord and he's the reigning Lord. If we die with him, we will be raised because he's the risen Lord. If we endure, we will reign because he's the reigning Lord. But if we deny him, he will also deny us. And if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. The contrast is so clear here as we finish up. If we die... We live because he lives. If we endure, we will reign with him because he reigns right now. But denying him, and and here, you know, I, I think of Peter. He denied him, and yet the Lord was still faithful to bring him in. But as we hear the gospel, we do not want to be in the position of denying him. And I can't wonder if that's a a warning to Timothy. In his timidity, don't, don't deny him. Don't turn your back on him here in this moment. If we are faithless, well, he remains faithful. He can't deny himself. He is and will always remain faithful. So, beloved, as we finish here tonight and we hear, hear from God's word, we would I'd be reminded to be strengthened by the grace of God. Whatever you're going through, whatever you have laid in front of you right now by God as a means of sanctification, keep on keeping on. Endure like a soldier. Focus like an athlete. Keep on keeping on like a farmer. Do it all knowing that Jesus Christ is the one who has risen from the dead and reigns and will ultimately bring you to glory for his glory's sake because he chose you from the foundations of the earth. That's a good and encouraging word for us to leave here having heard. Lord, we know that as we live our lives each and every Um, day all throughout the week lord we know that there are particular areas where we need your strength and your encouragement and we ask and pray lord that you would do just that as we leave here i don't know what has come up in everybody's minds and i don't need to because you lord by your holy spirit will i absolutely believe use this word to minister to them and whatever it is that has been You have been working on with them here throughout this sermon, Lord. I pray that as they walk out of these doors, they would trust you a little more. Know you a little better. Love you a little bit more than they did when they came in, Lord Jesus. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.